draw our attention to that great verse in particular and also the psalm as a whole. I want us to reflect upon God's goodness to us in the past as well as our need to be trusting him for all that goes before us in the future. So this morning the theme is a consideration of ascribing glory to God. The consideration of ascribing glory to God. The psalmist begins with a declaration. That is that God is to be praised and not ourselves. If you look at verse 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name give glory. This is not a time to celebrate our greatness or our accomplishments or our undertakings. No, it's a time for us to give glory to God. We must always be aware of the propensity for mankind to seek our own glory as opposed to God's glory, to take personal credit for those things that God enables us to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he provides a warning for them as they are anticipating entering the promised land. And it says, and I quote, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. He exhorts the children of Israel to remember God's help and enablement and not take the glory from themselves. This great undertaking that we're about to enter into is not in order to bring praise to ourselves, but praise to God. This is a celebratory service in which we are celebrating God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And it will lead up to eventually a dedicatory service once this program is fulfilled, completed, in which we will be dedicating this facility to honor God's glory. This stands in stark contrast to the people that were building the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. They built the Tower of Babel with the intention of glorifying the builders as they would rejoice in their own accomplishments. Listen to the statement in Genesis 11.4. They said, come. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top unto the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. That was the purpose in building the Tower of Babel. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us be renowned among the peoples of the earth. May everyone look and marvel at our accomplishments, what we were able to do. Let's exalt ourselves. That is certainly not our ambition and desire as we enter into this building program. This is not about exalting ourselves. It's about exalting our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We find in this psalm that God is to be praised for who he is and not merely what he does. If you notice in Psalm 115, verse 1, it says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but give your, but your name give glory. And then here's the reason. For the sake of your steadfast love 
and your faithfulness. God delights in his attributes of steadfast love and faithfulness. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 34, Moses is on the top of Mount Sinai, and he is speaking directly to God. It's in this context that he is going to be receiving the the Ten Commandments, and uh, God is revealing himself to Moses. And Moses beseeches God. He implores God to reveal to Moses God's glory. He wants to see the glory of God. And in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The very attributes that this verse ascribes to God. Steadfast love and faithfulness. So we find that as God reveals himself to Moses, the way in which God wants to be thought of is a God who is steadfast, a God who is loving, a God who is faithful. So this is a time for us to reflect on the steadfast love and goodness of God. God has been tremendously faithful to us as a congregation in the past. When we entered into the previous building program, uh, and we've had a number with the parsonage, but I'm thinking of when we entered into the building of this sanctuary and the uh, attending other facilities, when we entered into that particular building program, God enabled us to see it through to completion, including going through a series of phases that were not affordable when we initially began the project. First, there was the sanctuary that we are sitting in, and uh, as that was being completed, then the kitchen was enlarged and remodeled. Next came offices in the downstairs part of this facility. And finally, the Sunday school rooms were completed and built as well. In addition, during that particular period of time, as we were paying off the building, 50 acres of land became available right out there. And we purchased those 50 acres of land at the same time that we were paying off this facility. Also, in that same period of time, we took on an additional full-time pastor to the pastoral staff, all while we were in the process of paying off this particular building program. In the grace and goodness, providence and provision of God, we were able to sell a portion of those 50 acres and we paid off all of the indebtedness completely. God 
provided. God was faithful. God moved in ways that we had not thought and we had not imagined. God showed and proved himself both willing and able to provide. We find in this psalm that God is to be praised when the peoples round about us fail to praise him. If you look at verse 2, it says, Why should the nation say, Where is their God? God is invisible. We cannot see or point to God. And yet, God's works are clearly seen. We can see the activity of God. Therefore, it is important that we make God's works known by speaking of his greatness and not taking the glory unto ourselves. The psalmist said in Psalm 34, verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt the Lord together. To magnify is to make great. Now, we can't make God any greater than what he is. Our praises do not add to God's glory or greatness. What our praises do is reveal his greatness. It is to shine a magnifying glass upon what others have difficulty in seeing. And we live, unfortunately, in a world that is blind to the goodness and grace of God. Yes, some even question whether there is a God, whether he exists or not. So our gathering together today to exalt and praise his name is one of the ways in which God's glory is declared throughout this world and certainly to future generations. We find in this verse that it says, why should the nation say there is no God? God is to be praised for God is sovereign over all things. God does what he chooses to do without fail. Notice verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. The nations say, where is your God? The answer is, our God is in the heavens. Now, now what is that to communicate, the idea that our God is in the heavens? Well, more than just the idea that God is invisible and cannot be seen, it means that God is in heaven far out of the reach of mankind. In Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. When it speaks of God as being in heaven and his throne as being in the heavens, it's speaking of God as, as being in an impenetrable place. In the Old Testament, you need to keep in mind that capitals of nations, and in particular palaces and thrones of the rulers of those nations, were often established in high places. They were, they were placed on tops of hills, sometimes even mountains sometimes even on cliffs. The intent was to, to place the throne at a place where it would be safe. 
where if the enemies would attack it, it would be easily defensible and not easily conquered. So they were placed in strategic locations so that those thrones could not be attacked. This passage says, our God is in heaven. Our God is high and lifted up, Psalm 113, verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. So the idea is that our God is in a safe and secure place. No one is able to fight against our God. No one is able to dethrone him. That's why it says in the end of verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. God does what he chooses to do. And not only does God do what he chooses to do, God does all that he chooses to do. In the book of Daniel, it says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? No one can thwart our God. Nothing can keep our God from doing that which he chooses and purposes to do. So this morning we are to thank and praise God for the God that he is, the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. The nations say, where is your God? Now we're invited to look at the God of the nations. What about your God? God stands in stark contrast to the false gods who are visible but useless. The idols are costly in verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold. Still today, people spend a great deal of money on their gods. But those gods are futile. They are useless These are gods who have been made the work of human hands. They are unlike the true God that made everything else. Psalm 115.15 says, May you be be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see the stark contrast. Verse 4, their gods are made with human hands. Our God is the creator God who made the heavens and the earth. False gods are powerless, starting at verse 5. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. They have feet, but do not walk. And you do not make a sound in their throat. These are impotent, powerless gods. 
Therefore, false gods cannot be relied upon, verse 6. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Those who trust in idols become as weak and powerless as the idols that they worship. For those idols cannot help them. Those idols cannot assist them. Those idols can do nothing for them. Those idols cannot answer their prayers. Christopher Wright has said, and I love this statement, false gods fail without fail. False gods fail without fail. You can count on false gods failing you. They cannot do anything. The idols cannot help in any way. This stands in contrast to our God. God is to be praised through reliance and trust upon him. God is glorified as a result of trusting in him. Three groups are exhorted to trust in the Lord in verses 9, 10, and 11. The first is Israel. Verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. Verse 10, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. And then, verse 11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. So it moves from the the greater to the lesser greater in number to the more singular in number. It starts with the nation as a whole. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. Then it moves to the priests, the spiritual leaders of the nation. Oh, trust in the Lord. And then verse 11, very interestingly, it moves to the individual worshiper, the person who has a true faith in God. Verse 11, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. This is an exhortation to believers, not to unbelievers. This is an exhortation to Israel, the nation, to the spiritual leaders, and then those who are particularly devoted and described as those who fear the Lord. So we might ask ourselves, why do such people need to be exhorted to trust in the Lord? Why talk to those people? Isn't that preaching to the choir? Well, first, it reveals that we are prone to doubt and worry. Like Peter in the midst of the storm, it is easy to look upon the obstacles in our circumstances rather than to see the superior greatness of our God. There are times as God's people that we fail to trust in the Lord. There are times as God's people, people of faith, in which we still have doubts. We still have uncertainty. We have fears. We have concerns. And so the exhortation is trust in the Lord. Secondly, we who trust in the Lord are to learn to trust the Lord more fully, more completely, more 
consistently. The repeated prayer in the New Testament is that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we grow in that grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to grow in faith. And as we grow in faith, we grow in our trust in the Lord. We learn to an ever-increasing degree that God is, in fact, trustworthy. There is no reason for us to doubt his promises, to doubt his word, to doubt his willingness, to doubt his faithfulness, to doubt his goodness, to, to doubt his power, whatever attribute that you want to ascribe unto God. This psalm, though, is in a context of bringing glory to God. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name give glory for thy steadfast love and faithfulness. So that theme verse tells us that the ultimate application of this psalm is to bring glory to God. Not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name give glory. So what I want us to think upon this morning is how our trusting in the Lord brings glory to him. Our trusting in the Lord brings glory to God. For in trusting the Lord, we recognize God's trustworthiness. That God is trustworthy. And therefore is to be glorified. In Proverbs 31, the virtues of a virtuous woman are praised. The rarity of the virtuous woman begins the section in Proverbs 31, 1, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels, far more valuable, far more wonderful than any jewel that you could obtain. And listen to the very first praise of the virtuous woman. Proverbs 31, verse 11. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. He can trust her. It goes on to say that she will do him good and not harm all the days of her life. A wife like that is praiseworthy. A wife who will do you good and not harm all the days of your life. A wife that you can trust. You can trust her word. You can trust her integrity. You can trust her with finances. You can trust her around people of the opposite sex. You have trust in this individual because of their character, because of their worth, because of their proven value. And you admire them. And you want everyone else to admire them too. 
This is our God. He is trustworthy. And as we declare that trustworthiness, and as we exercise our trust in him, it brings him glory. Others can see, too, that God is faithful and trustworthy. God is glorified when we truly believe that we can trust in him, that we can safely trust in him, that he will not fail us. He is, in fact, trustworthy, worthy of our trust. Now notice the end of verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. Now these words, he is their help and their shield. Verse 10, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. Why? He is their help and their shield. Verse 11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Why? He is their help and their shield. It's repeated three times for each class that is spoken to. For he is the consistent help and shield. Help speaks of offensive assistance. You think about a battle. God is able to give victory. The shield is another metaphor for the battle. This speaks of defensive assistance. It speaks of God's protection and his ability to deliver. God can do both. God can help us offensively and defensively. God can give us the victory and keep us from being conquered. It's shorthand for saying he can do everything that we stand in need of. He's got it covered. In Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, meaning I will need nothing. I won't have any lack. My shepherd can do and provide all that I have need of. Therefore, we can trust him. We can trust him in every area of our lives. We don't need to departmentalize our lives. We don't have to think about the areas of our finances. We don't have to think about the areas of our health. We don't have to think about the areas of our children. We don't have to departmentalize, for we don't have a host of gods. You know, in Greek mythology, there was a god for virtually everything. There was a god of fertility. There was a god of thunder. There was a god for this. There was a god for that. For you needed all these different gods for the various aspects of your life. And, of course, all of them were futile. We have but one God. Because that one God is sovereign over all things. We can trust him in every facet and aspect of our life and our being. For he does what he pleases in the heavens. We find in this psalm that trusting in the Lord brings blessing. The confidence that God will bless us in the future 
is based on the realization that it's God who has blessed us in the past. The Lord, in his faithfulness, does not forget. If you look at verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. The Lord has remembered us. How often do we make commitments and say that we will do certain things and it simply slips our mind? Have you ever made a commitment to an individual and then simply forgot, became preoccupied, distracted? Perhaps weightier, more urgent things came into your life and you just didn't get it done. Maybe even saying that you would pray for them. But you never got around to it. Never really prayed. Our verse says God has remembered us. There is nothing more important to God than the care of his people. There is nothing more important to God than the honoring of his word. What he says, he will do. What he says, he can do. And so we are to trust him. And in trusting him, it brings blessedness to our lives. God will bless us. We can count on it. Verse 12. He will bless those. Excuse me, verse 12, yes. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. He will bless. He will bless. We are to trust that he will bless. Again, that he will do what he says he will do. It says in verse 13, he will bless both the small and the great. Both the small and the great which teaches us that God will not bless us because of who we are. It's not because of the position we hold. It's not because of our faithfulness, even. Three groups are mentioned. He will bless Israel. He will bless Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. It's intended to say that he will bless all those who trust in him. God will bless us not because of who we are. God blesses us because of who he is. He is a God who blesses. And we're just simply the recipients of a relationship of a God who blesses. If God were not that kind of God, we would have no alternative. We would have no other recourse. We can't change the character of God. We can't coerce God into doing a certain thing, a single thing. We don't have to. Because God blesses. That's his nature. That's his desire. 
And so the exhortation is to know the blessedness of trusting in the Lord. Oddly enough, to allow ourselves to be blessed through trusting in the Lord. Notice verse 15. May you be blessed by the Lord. Allow yourself to be blessed by the Lord. What does that mean? Allow yourself to be blessed by the Lord. It means that in trusting the Lord, you will be blessed. But not as a reward. We, we shouldn't view it that way. We, we shouldn't see it as a reward. Rather, we're to see it as a consequence. We're to see it as the outcome. When you trust in the Lord, you will be blessed because the way in which God will lead you and direct you is a path of blessedness. It's the right way to live. It's the right way to go. Think of the children of Israel. When they came to the promised land, initially, they doubted and did not believe that God was able to give them the promised land that was filled with milk and honey, that was filled with all these wonderful blessings. But because they failed to trust the Lord, they didn't experience those blessings. They didn't experience that land of milk and honey. Instead, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. (laughs) They spent the rest of their life going nowhere. People, when we fail to trust in the Lord, we spend our lives going nowhere. We spin our wheels. We don't go forward. We don't advance the kingdom. We don't experience all the blessings that God would have for us. God's goodness, God's grace. As we think about this building program that we entered into, this facility that we now enjoy, Because we responded in trusting the Lord, we experienced the blessings that he had for us, the numerical growth. Could not even sit everybody into the old sanctuary that we had. God has blessed us. Material growth, the way in which we are able to give to missions in a super abundant way in the years in which we were over in the old facility. The budget has dramatically increased. God has blessed us. The work has grown. The pastoral staff has grown. We can think of so many different ways in which we could try to make that tangible. As we trust in the Lord, we experience his his blessings. So, There was another generation after that generation that died off in the wilderness 
And they trusted the Lord. And they went in and fought and became victorious in the promised land. And they experienced great blessing that God had prepared for his people. Let me say to you, there's a difference between presumptuousness and trust. We want to be trusting the Lord. We don't want to be presumptuous. Presumption is confidence in ourselves. Presumption is that we can do it. Presumption is this is no problem. The children of Israel trusted the Lord when they had to fight the battle of Jericho. Seemed like an insurmountable task, fighting this walled city. And of course, you know the story, and God gave them a great victory, and the only way that could happen is by those walls falling down, and they fell down. So the next city they fight against is Ai. That's a little city. And they say, We got this covered. This is no problem. We can do this. And of course they go against AI and they're defeated. Because it's not about what we can do, it's about what God can do. We always have to be on guard when we've been successful in the past to say, well, we can do it again. No, God can do it again. God can do it again. And we always have to keep looking to God and not ourselves. There's a a verse in Scripture that I find to be incredibly humorous and, and I love it. It comes in 1 Kings chapter 20. There's an incident when Ben Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army together, 32 kings with him horses and chariots and they went up and closed in the city of Samaria and fought against it and he announced to the king of Israel that he would destroy Samaria to which the king replied in 1 Kings chapter 20 verse 11 the king answered and said I quote tell him let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off Don't boast when you're going into battle. Boast when the battle's over. Presumption. This foreign king thought that Israel was no match. The God of Israel, the king of Israel said, we have God on our side. We are not relying upon ourselves, I hope, as we go through this building program. But together we are relying upon the Lord. We're not saying that we can do this because we did it in the past. We're saying we can do this because God did this in the past. And that very same God is the God who's with us now. And he can do it. The Lord will be there for future generations if you look at verse 14. May the Lord give you increase and your children. 
That's why building is so important. We can't be living in the past, and we shouldn't be consumed with the present. But we should always be preparing to minister to future generations as well. Our responsibility is to be passing on the faith from generation to generation to generation. And we want to provide a facility that will make it easier to advance the kingdom of God. Easier in the sense of a facility that will enhance the program, enhance and bring to pass the desire to honor and glorify God. We have been entrusted with caring for this earth and the world in which we live. Look at verse 16. The heavens are the, are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Meaning that God has delegated and trusted to us the oversight of this world. When God made this heaven and this earth, he put mankind on this earth and he gave to mankind the responsibility. He entrusted this earth to mankind to develop it, till it, work with it, the mining of minerals, the inhabitation of the land, and yes, the building of structures for right and goodly uses. God has intended us to be good stewards and to advance his kingdom on this earth with the resources that he has given to us. We need to make the most of our time as we are placed on this earth. Verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. <laughs> There's an old hymn where the words are, work for the night is coming when man's work is done. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 13, it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds do follow them. The thought is, now is the time to be serving the Lord. Now is the time to be making the most of our, our resources, our abilities. Now is the time that God has given to us to do his work. And every one of us is going to die and we're going to be off the scene. And what God requires of us in the time in which we live is our own faithfulness. Making the most of what God has given to us. So we want to be faithful in our generation. We want to be serving him till the day that we die. We want to be advancing his cause. We want to be furthering his kingdom. We want to be announcing his glory. We want to be doing his will. We're to be making a commitment to glorifying God that will speak of God well in the present. Look at verse 18. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth. Bless the Lord. Now, we can't... <laughs> in any way enhance the existence of God. So when it's talking about blessing the Lord, it's not in the way in which he blesses us. 
But when it says of us blessing the Lord, it simply means to speak well of the Lord. To speak well of the Lord. To praise the Lord. To exalt the Lord. To give glory to God. That's what we're to do. But we're to keep in mind that praising God is not spiritual flattery. We're not here to flatter God this morning. For his praise is deserved. It's deserved. And praising God is spiritually edifying. It strengthens our faith in a God who indeed is faithful. Praising God is a good and holy reminder of the one from whom all blessings flow. And so we find in this psalm ends with, we're to glorify God forevermore, verse 18, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and even forevermore. Praise the Lord. We will, by God's grace, praise the Lord in this life. We're to be sure that future generations are praising the Lord as well, for it is to be forevermore. We want to be passing it on from generation to generation. So as there was a generation who built that edifice that we now call Fellowship Hall, there was a generation who built this. There's a generation who is building that. And by God's grace, there will be a generation that comes that will continue the work going forward and accomplishing still more. So we must be trusting in the Lord. We must guard our example. We must guard our conduct. We must guard our teaching. We must remain faithful to the Lord for our children and our children's children and our children's 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 benefit. For we want to be faithful to the Lord forevermore for the generations to come. And so also, the psalmist talks about those that go into death and are silent. Speaking about the fact that works can't carry on. He's talking about those that are believing in false gods. But we believe in a living and true God. And so when we are dead in God, our voice is not silent. Our voice cannot be heard on this earth. Our words do not continue to the next generations. We are silent. But we're not silent in heaven. We are rejoicing. We're giving praise. We're acknowledging God who has been faithful. And I believe with my whole heart we are looking down on this earth, seeing what is going on, and rejoicing in the continued faithfulness of God to the next generations. Let's celebrate God's goodness. Let's pray. Almighty God, we rejoice in your great goodness. We acknowledge that you are a faithful God, one who is steadfast in love and faithfulness. 
Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Use this facility that we are about to build to your glory. Lord, help us, for it is a task too great for us, but it is certainly not a task too great for you. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a fitting conclusion to this service for us to praise our God. Would you please stand with me as we sing our concluding hymn, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. After we sing this hymn, we'll say the benediction and sing majesty, and then pastor will give instructions as to where we go from here. Please stand with me. moment I'll give the benediction but uh, I just want uh, some help here are we set up out there yet no how much time are you going to need 10 minutes 
Five to ten minutes. All right. I have, I have two minutes of twelve. So, uh, Lord willing, we will start out here to my left at ten after. So if you need to use the men's room, if you want to get a chair, I think this is going to be about 15 minutes. Or ladies' room. Or ladies' room, okay. <laughs> Always one in the crowd. All right, yes. Yes. You know which one to choose. All right. Uh, you may use this front door if you like. Uh, you may walk around the outside and get to this area. If you want to bring a lawn chair, you're welcome to. But it will be about 15 minutes out here. And then immediately from that, we're going over to where the campfire is and having hot dogs and chili and uh, macaroni and cheese and all kinds of good stuff. So we hope that you can stay. So 10 after, out here. Let's pray. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.